Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. called Discover. Um, It's quite exciting, and I'll let Mike tell you more about that, but we are reading out of Nehemiah um, chapter 1, so you guys can follow along with me. It says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But, you, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you're dispersed, be under the farthest skies. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Hey guys, I'm Mike, one of the leaders here. And yeah, it's awesome to be in a new year. Guys, we are in 2020. I don't know if you, you may remember this. When I was growing up, like, this was the future, <laughs> and we were supposed to have flying cars and hoverboards and all that stuff. Um, I actually heard this week that Europe is building flying cars, so maybe they'll make it its way over here soon. But, um, but yeah, like, it's, it's kind of crazy that we're living in the future now, and, uh, and 2020 has, uh, for our church in particular, this was the future. We, we started in 2013, and... 
Uh, it's not like we looked specifically to 2020, but this, was, uh, this is a year where a lot of things are coming together to form something new and something amazing. So we're really excited about this year as, as a church, as a team. It's why we have uh, this graphic. It's why it's, it's supposed to be like really powerful for us this year. And it's why uh, it's called Discover. So Discover is our word for the year. Uh, we're going to take it throughout the entire year for us. And over the course of this month, we're talking about discovering identity, discovering destiny, discover influence, and discover growth over the next four weeks. And, and so this morning, <clears throat> before we jump into the Nehemiah passage, I want to remind you guys of our vision statement and our mission statement at Trinity Life. So here's, here's, the, here's both of them up here, but let's start with the vision. Uh, it's to empower 5,600 people. So if you're new here, the numbers, you can go and look at, you can hear about the numbers back in September in our Breaking Ground series. I'm not going to talk about it right now, but it's to empower 5,600 people to discover identity and destiny in Christ. 560 partners, these are the organizations we work with around the city and around the world, to influence our city, and 56 church plans to influence our world. So you can remember it easily, 5,600 people, 560 partners, 56 plants. That is, that is our vision, our, what we see happening in the future. Right? So that's the future for us, is, is that statement. It's, if you're putting a puzzle together, it's the puzzle box top. You, we have the pieces here. We're trying to make it look like that. That's what that is for us. That's the vision. The mission is discovering identity and destiny in Christ, influencing our city and the world. That's what we do every day to see the vision happen, is that mission. And so that's why we're taking the word discover through, throughout this series. And the ordering of that mission statement is key. It's vital to how we operate as a church, as a people, on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and so take identity first, which we're going to talk about today. Um, it's, it's imperative that your identity is established in Christ. A lot of times, we go to destiny first, which is, which is purpose, right? We're trying to find our purpose in Christ, but your identity isn't established in Christ yet. So today, we're talking about that individually, but also collectively, as a church, we don't want to go to our purpose if our identity isn't in Christ first. Why, why do you think that is? Well, that's because if we go to our purpose first, and we may, we're going to lose our foundation, but if we go to our purpose first, we may be doing it and living it out for the wrong reasons, right? for our own purposes, for our, for our own exaltation, for our own glory. So we want to make sure our identity is in Christ first. So think about that as you as an individual, how important that is. Because if you're, and, and I get it for a lot of us, for a lot of you guys right now, and where, where you are in life, one of your chief questions is, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with my life? I don't know if that question ever stops being asked, by the way. Uh, but you're saying, God, what's, where should I get a job? Who should I be in a relationship with? Where should I be at in church? Uh, you know, all these questions about, God, what do you want me to do? And, and that's, this, that's this, a lot of times for us, it's this purpose, destiny question. What you should be asking first is, God, how do I establish my identity in you? How do I become more like you? Jesus, make me more like you today. Guys, that's a prayer I pray every single day. Every day I wake up and I say, Jesus, make me more like you today. I'm not 
asking a purpose question. I'm asking an, uh, a destiny question. I'm just, asking, uh, I'm just asking God to establish my identity in him every single day. Adam said earlier, his mercies are renewed every day. This is something that you need to renew every day because, guys, we're sinful every day, right? So that's why I say it every day. Jesus, make me more like you today. Show me how to put my identity in you today. And, and every day, uh, I get, hopefully, I get better and better at that. So that's first. And as a church, we need that. We need that first. And then the destiny question, which we'll talk about more in full next week, but that's, that's purpose. That's, that's the same thing for everybody, guys. We all have the same identity in Christ, and we all have the same destiny in Christ. And our destiny is to be ministers of reconciliation, is to share our faith, it's to love others, it's all the one another's. I mean, go on and on. We all have that same destiny in Christ. And then influence, which we'll talk about in week three, is, is specific to you. That's the question that you really want to get at. So when you ask God, hey, what do you want me to do with my life? What am I supposed to do? You're actually asking an, an influence question. You think you're asking a purpose question a lot of times, but you're asking an influence question because we all have the same purpose. And if you're not doing that purpose, don't ask your influence question. If you're not sharing your faith, if you're not a minister of reconciliation, if you're not meek, if you're not humble, if you're not like Jesus, and we can go through the Beatitudes, we can go through so many things, if, you're not, if you don't exemplify the character of God to this world, don't even ask the influence question. You following me? But a lot of us ask that, and we skip identity, and we skip destiny. But if we can, if we can and guys, hear me, hear me right, like, this is, we're all in the sanctifying process, right? So you may not fully understand your, your identity yet or your destiny yet, and you can still be influencing, right? But like I said, I want to grow my identity and my destiny every day so that I influence more effectively for the kingdom of God. So that influence question, so you don't want to neglect those, two, those first two. So that influence question is one of uh, what, am I pers- what is my personality? What are my giftings? What are my passions? What is my educational background? What is my family background? What is my ethnic background? All these things are particular to you that can be used to usher in the kingdom of God. And that's how you influence our city and the world. And guys, when we come together as a church, as a group of people, as a body of Christ, and we have a huge range and huge mix of all those different backgrounds, oh, that's so amazing, right? Because I don't have what you have, and you don't have what I have, and we all form this body of Christ together with, our, with all of our backgrounds, educational, ethnic, uh, family, uh, personalities, gifts, passions, talents, all those things, and then we can get to do something amazing for Jesus, right, when we do it together. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about throughout, throughout this series we want to help us discover how to influence our city, how to influence our world. And I haven't shared this with a lot of people, um, <clears throat> but mine and Missy's calling to Toronto was to influence the world. That's the only reason we moved to Toronto. It wasn't to take care of your problems. <laughs> it wasn't to counsel you. It wasn't to, to, um, to start a church, even. That, that isn't why we moved here. It wasn't to to be in community. It wasn't to uh, preach sermons. It wasn't to disciple people. All those things feed into influencing the world. It's how we influence the world, right? So that's why that's the last thing in that statement, because that was why, that's why we moved here. That's why we came here. It was to do, to do that. And all those things, 
counseling and preaching and engaging the city and working with organizations and planting churches and uh, discipleship, all those flow into influencing the world, and it's how we influence the world. And guys, if you're a part of our church, we're influencing the world. And I'm not going to go into all that now. We'll talk about that in week three. But um, it's amazing how our small church in Toronto, because we're in a global city, that we can influence the world. And I'll tell you a bunch of stories there of how we're doing that. But for today, let's talk identity. Let's get our identity right first, because Nehemiah is in this spot where he's able to influence the world. Do you guys get this? Like, he is in the global city of the day, and he's, he should be influencing the world, but he has the wrong mentality, and he's about to have the right mentality, and he's about to discover his identity, and he's about to start influencing the world, and he's going to change salvation history. So let's, let's, let's jump in here. Nehemiah Chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The words of Nehemiah, do you guys know what Nehemiah means? What his name means? It means Yahweh, or the Lord, comforts. This whole book is about God's comfort and God comforting his people in distress. So it starts out with that. The words of the Lord comforts. That's literally what, what it's saying. The words of Nehemiah. Say, say to your neighbor, the Lord comforts. Like so many of us need that. 2020 can be a year of that for you. And you just reminded your neighbor that Yahweh, the Lord, comforts. He comforts his people. He's there for you. I remember that. The Lord comforts. The son of Hakaliah, and his name means wait on the Lord. Wait on Yahweh. Wait on the Lord. Say that to your neighbor. Wait, wait on the Lord. Guys, uh, we're waiting on so many other things in this world. But you just exhorted your neighbor to wait on the Lord this year. Wait on the Lord. And it's really cool because uh, whenever you see the Lord, and we're going to see it all through this passage, but you see it in their two names, whenever you see the Lord in all caps in your Bible, that is Yahweh, not just not just like Master and Lord, it's, it's God's personal name from Exodus chapter 3. And it's, and it's indicating that God is a personal, intimate God who cares about relationship and who wants to be in relationship with us. So he's a God of comfort. He's a, he's a God we can wait on because he will show up, right? And so that's what Nehemiah is starting out with. And it says, Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile. So a couple of notes here. Um, I don't want to brush over that. Hanani and some men come from Judah, which is where Jerusalem is, and they... And Nehemiah meets them, and he asks them concerning Jews who escaped and survived the exile. So the exile is technically over. Okay? They've survived the exile. These Jews are living back in Judah, in Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah is still in captivity. Okay? They go to him, to the center of the world at that time, and he's still in captivity. 
And they say concerning Jerusalem, they say to him in verse 3, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile, so these Jews who had survived, the remnant, the little bit that's left, they are in great trouble and shame. Trouble meaning distress, anguish, right? They're in great trouble and shame or disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Guys, this is in the 20th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, the Persian king. It's the 20th year. They're entering the third decade of this guy's reign. And what's Nehemiah doing? He's living in the palace. He's a cupbearer to the king, we, we hear in verse 11. He's got a pretty posh job. He's comfortable. Up until this point, he's pretty apathetic. He's okay with his captivity because he's living the good life. Guys, we're entering the 20th year of a new century. Some of you guys are born in this century, but I was not. <laughs> and Archie definitely was not. <laughs> Every time, it's so funny. <laughs> um, we're entering the 20th year of a new century, a third decade in a new century. And some of us are complacent and comfortable and apathetic. Nehemiah, whether it, was, whether it was just him not knowing, so ignorance, he didn't know that Jerusalem was like this, or him not caring, he, like, this is news to him when he finds out that Jerusalem is in the state. And he is the cupbearer to the king, so he's very trusted, and he is just living his life comfortably. Can you guys resonate with that? I think most of our culture is like that. Like, hey, you just, you, <laughs> you just do what's best for you. You, just, you live your life and try to be happy. You, you need to try to get the best job, to make the most money, to take care of your family. You need to get that house, and that house is going to make you comfortable. And you need to get that job and that promotion. And you need to get that, that wife or that husband. You need to get those kids. You need to get that car. You need to get whatever it is to make you comfortable. Because that's what this life is about. You want to be the most comfortable you can so that when you die, you have lived a comfortable life. Guys, we're not about comfortable here. This church has never been about comfortable. We're about boldness. We're about moving forward. We're about doing things that we don't have money for, that we don't have resources for. And I live my life like that. That's why we lead the church like that. Because we, we want to take huge steps of faith where we say, God, if, if we're going to do this, it's only going to happen because you do it. Because we can't do it on our own strength. We can't do it with our own resources. You have to do it. And you have to make something happen. And that's the way I want, that's the way I want our church to go into the new year. And we've been doing that, but there's been a remnant of us doing that. There's been a remnant of us who's cared that Jerusalem is, uh, is dead and dying in its walls. Guys, do you get, like, the church in the, in the third decade of this year, 20 years in, the 20th year in the 2000s, our church is dying, if not dead. Do you guys know that? Like, here in Canada... 
the church has been dying over the past two decades. More. You can trace it back to, uh, I mean, depending on where you want your historical point, in the 1960s or the 1860s. Like, there are huge shifts in the Canadian Christian landscape in those decades in the past two centuries. And here we are in 2020, and I hope we have another huge shift coming, but the other way. Guys, do you know that, do you realize that churches like this don't survive in downtown Toronto? Toronto is historically a church planting graveyard. When I told people we were going to come to Toronto, downtown, not like the GTA, but downtown Toronto to start a church, they said, that ain't going to happen. And I was like, when I know I don't have all, (laughs) I don't think it can happen through me. Um, But they said, like, you'll die there. And I, physically and spiritually, I don't know what they meant, emotionally, (laughs) mentally, I feel like all those deaths probably happened over the past six years. <laughs> uh, and I was like, okay, well, we're supposed to die to ourselves, right? Um, this, that's right, yeah. Like, this shouldn't be here. Because it's, by God's grace, it's a miracle that, that we are a church that exists in Toronto. I, and, and so something is changing in the landscape of Toronto and hopefully in, in, in Canada because we are ushering in the kingdom of God. And... And they come to Nehemiah, and they say to him these words, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. And that's where the church has been, great trouble and shame. But look at Nehemiah's reaction to this in verse 4. He says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And what did he do? He continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. It broke his heart. Because there's, I, I don't have time to go into all this, but um, there's two instances after we moved to Toronto that the Lord broke my heart for Toronto. One, I was driving, and I can't go into the whole story, but one, I was driving on the 401, and I, and I just come from an event, and I just started weeping as I'm driving. Um, and then another one um, here in downtown where the Lord just, just broke me, and I started weeping over our city. As that's, if that hasn't happened to you, I pray for God to do that in you, that he would break your heart for, for the people of this city, for, for this city, that we are here to usher in the kingdom. We're here to be God's light. Pray out of your comfort. Pray him to take you out of your comfortability and that you would weep and mourn. And look, we're doing this as a church right now. He fasted and he prayed. As we're, for those of you who don't know, we're in the middle of a 10-day fast as a church. We start on January 2nd. We're going to January 12th. And um, some people are doing the whole 10 days. Like those of you who are about to fall asleep right now, <laughs> You're doing, you probably been, didn't have food for three days, and you're like so tired. Um, that'll pass. Just keep on going. That'll pass. Um, some of you guys are doing like one meal a day. Some of you guys are, are fasting a couple days during the 10 days. Um, don't be legalistic about it. Um, the, the goal is to get closer to God and to pray to God, right? Like Missy said, if you're not, if you're not praying while you're fasting, they're like, it's almost, there's almost no point. It's just dieting, 
right? So, so the whole point is to pray and to focus on the Lord and what he wants to do in our church and in you individually. So Nehemiah does that. He weeps, he mourns, he fasts, he prays before the God of heaven, the God who is over all things, the God who is in control of all things. And he says this. He says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. The, the word awesome there has lost its meaning in our, in, in our culture because we kind of just say, oh, that's awesome. And it means cool. It means, oh, that's, that's awesome. But, but Nehemiah here isn't saying you're a cool God. He's not like, oh, yeah, you're, you're all right, you God. Yeah. Um, this word here, it literally means terrible. Like you're you're ter- like in a sense of fear, like fear-inducing. Not terrible, like bad. That's also less mean, but like terrible, like like um, like it, it produces fear and astonishment. So you're saying, God, you are you are a God who produces awe, fear, and astonishment in your presence. Like, oh my gosh, like I'm in God's presence. We've we've um, watered down the presence of God. We've watered down Jesus because. You know, in the Renaissance, we made him this, like, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, nice-haired Jesus. Um, but Jesus is awesome. Like, he's powerful. He's, he, he's, like, he's frightful. And, Nehemiah says, you're not just great and awesome, but you're a God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. You're also a God who loves, who keeps covenant. So this is the fullness of God. This is why we can approach God. Because he's at, at one time, he's, he's terrible and awesome and frightful, but he's also loving and welcoming and hospitable. This word steadfast love is, is a Hebrew word that doesn't have a direct translation into the English. It's, it's the word chesed. And, it, and, it's, and so wherever you see steadfast love in your Bible, it's, it's referring to this word. And it's a, the word, it's only used of God. It's like the Greek agape. Right? It's, it's this God-type love that is always chasing after us. It's always pursuing us. He's, he's never stopping. He's always welcome, welcoming us in. It's, all that is packed into this one word. And the best way we can translate it is steadfast. Like, it's always there. It's never stopping. It's never ending. So here you have God. You have this fullness of God where, where Nehemiah recognizes the character of God. And that's the first thing he does. He recognizes who God is and what his character is, right? That's the first step in identity, recognizing who God is. You're trying to find out who you are, but remember, your identity isn't in you. Your identity is in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. So we need to know who Christ is. And Nehemiah starts by recognizing who God is. I love, you guys read the Chronicles of Narnia, or not the Chron- not all of them, but um, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? So, yeah, um, I'll just say this as an aside. If you haven't read The Silver Chair, that's the best one. Going back to Chronicles of Narnia, which isn't even the first book, but it became like, defined the whole series. So there's this, there's this scene in there where one of, the, one of the girls in the family, she's talking to, the, to Mr. Beaver, and they're finding out about Aslan. And, and they don't know he's... He's a lion, so they find out he's a lion. And Aslan is the God figure in, in, in the book. He's the messianic figure, right? And, and one of the girls finds out he's a lion, and she's scared, right? This is an awesome 
terrible, frightening, astonishing moment for her. Like, oh, he's a lion. So, so she says this to Mr. Beaver. She says, oh, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver laughs. And he says, no, he's not safe, but he's good. And it's like, every time I read that, I almost weep. Because God isn't, we're not, if you want a safe God, oh man, you don't want the God of the Bible. Like, God is not safe. If you want a safe church, then we're not going to look like Jesus then. Jesus wasn't a safe person, but he's good. He's bold and he's courageous, but he's loving and he's merciful and he's good. And we want the fullness of that here. So Nehemiah recognizes that and he starts off with these characteristics. And then he says, uh, verse 6, let your ear be attentive. So he knows God is the God who hears and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel. See, Nehemiah's prayer isn't just focused on himself. Now, he's part of the people of Israel, but his prayer is, is bigger than himself. He starts to recognize that he's part of something greater than just his present life. Okay? He hasn't realized that up until this point, which is why he's still cupbearer to the king. But now he knows that there's something else that, that he's supposed to go into. And he says this, confessing, so day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. Verse 7, we've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. So he starts by recognizing the character of God, and, and he sees God's Greatness, his awesomeness, he sees his steadfast love, and, and he pairs those things, and it, it leads him into confession. Guys, he's recognized who God is, that identity, and in order to place himself in that identity, he recognizes he's unworthy. He recognizes he doesn't deserve it. He recognizes his downfalls, that he's sinful, that He's, he's, his, he recognizes his failures in following God up to this point, and he confesses all of that. That is highly significant if you want to put your identity in Christ. Because as we sang earlier, he's a God who forgives. And so when you come to Jesus like that, he's going to forgive. He's not condemning you. Guys, you're already condemned, John chapter 3 says, by just being in this world. Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to rescue you. I came to free you. I came to forgive you. I came to save you. And so, so here Isaiah starts with confessing his sin because that's hindering him from realizing his identity in God. And then also it's going to hinder him from his destiny and influence. So he starts with confessing sin. What do you need to confess? Ask the Lord that. What, what do I need to confess? Confession should be a regular part of your, of, of your relationship with the Lord, that you, just, that you confess your sins daily. And he will forgive you. He has forgiven you. He will make you more holy, more righteous. And, and so think about it. What do you need to confess? We need to confess in your sin to others. We need to confess in your sin to God. What, what sin have you committed in the church? 
what sins you need to confess on behalf of our church. I've been asking the Lord, based on this passage, God, what sins have our, has our church committed that I need to confess? As, as we've been leading this church, how have we not led it like you want us to? And I've been confessing those things for, for our church. Uh, so do that on behalf of our church as well and ask, ask the Lord for that. Nehemiah, he has a bunch. He says, for me and my father's house, he says, for the people of Israel, we didn't do what you asked us to do. We rebelled against all your commandments, your statutes, your rules, and, and you gave them to, to Moses. And then he goes into verse 8, and he appeals to God. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. Guys, oh, I, can't, I can't stress this enough. I can't overstress the importance of the word. Here he appeals to the word. How, do, how does he know God's character? How does he know that if he confesses his sin, that, that the Lord is faithful and just to forgive his sin? Because he knows the word of God. Right here, verse 8, it's, it's a quote from, well, it's a summary of, of quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 4. Nehemiah is in the word. And here he's, He's, um, he's saying it in his prayer. Guys, that's a great practice to, to just pray back the word of God. If you don't know what to pray, read some scripture and pray that back to God. That's, that's going to get you to know who God is. So that's what Nehemiah does. He prays Deuteronomy 4 and he says, But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather, this is the Lord speaking, I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Oh, guys. So in this context, they're talking about Jerusalem here because the temple is there. And that's, that was God's dwelling place. Right? God's dwelling place was in the temple. It was, it was in Jerusalem. But who's the temple now? We are. Right? We are. We're the temple. The church is the temple of, of God, of the, of the Holy Spirit. And you individually, the Spirit dwells in each of you individually as followers of Jesus. So you each have the temple of the Holy Spirit, and collectively we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like, that's, that's amazing. Before they had to go somewhere... And that's why he's weeping and mourning, but we are that temple now. So what should cause us weeping and mourning is when we're not acting like the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? And, and so he appeals to God, and he says, you will make your name to dwell there. You will do that if we follow what you've laid out for us. If we just are willing and obedient and hear and trust and obey your voice, you will dwell with us. And in verse 10, he says, this is Nehemiah talking, Still praying, he says, They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. That's, that's almost a direct quote from Deuteronomy 9.29. And so he's still praying scripture. And he's appealing to God on what God has already said. He's like, hey, you said this back then. And so I'm going to trust that this is true. And I'm going to follow forward in obedience according to what you said back then. And I'm going to trust that. And I've prayed that to you. Now we're on the same page. 
you know this, I know this, and God's like, I knew this already. Um, but now I know that you know this, and, and let's do this together. And then verse 11. He says, O Lord, <clears throat> let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. In this last verse, Nehemiah fully realizes his identity. He fully realizes that he needs to operate as a servant of the Lord. That is his identity, to be a servant of the Lord. Guys, that's your identity. If you're a follower of Jesus in here, it's to be a servant of the Lord. For us as a church, it's to be a servant of the Lord. Nehemiah is, approaches this in humility. Um, this morning when we were praying, Camille, Camille uh, pointed out the humility of God and, and how we're supposed to be humble as he is humble. And here Nehemiah, he humbles himself before God. And, and a lot of times, guys, in, in your relationship with God and in prayer, we don't approach in humility. We actually approach him in, in hubris. We don't approach, because we approach him by, by, by um, uh, kind of on the, on the pretense, I guess, of, of what we think we deserve. Right? And we say, God, why isn't this happening? Why don't I have that? Why does he have that or she has that and I don't have that? Aren't I following you? Aren't I doing this? And instead of approaching God in humility, we're actually approaching him in, in a little bit of arrogance, right? Um, and we're saying, we deserve this, God. I've been following you faithfully, and you're supposed to give this to me. But Nehemiah here also recognizes something in this last verse. He says, he says mercy. He recognizes that God is a merciful God. And our simple definition for mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. He's withholding something that we actually deserve. And so when Nehemiah approaches them in humility, he, he approached them saying, I know I deserve the consequences for my sin. I know I deserve the consequences for my actions. I know I deserve the consequences for not following you, but I also know you're a merciful God. And so grant me favor and success as I go before the king. And we're going to see next week <clears throat> that the Lord does it. Because God is a loving God, steadfast love. He's, he's, he's there. For, he's not waiting to punish us, guys. He's not waiting there to, to, to slap our hand when we, when we you know, get out of place. He's there to love us and to guide us. And Nehemiah knows that, and he appeals to his mercy at the end. And then he leads us with this teaser. He says, now I was cupbearer to the king. And we're going to see... He, it's like he finally recognizes his identity, and then he recognizes that he's cupbearer to the king and his placement and how his identity informs why he's there, and then he's about to live out his purpose in chapter two. And we'll talk about that next week. But guys, uh, our church, we are defined, we need to be defined by humility. We can only be bold if we're, if we're humbling ourselves before the Lord, because boldness only comes by doing uh, well, we, we can't do it ourselves, right? He has to do it. So, so for our church guys, in 2020, if we're going to discover our identity, we need to do a few things. We need to be in the Word. 
We have to have the word dwell richly in us, right? Because that's only how we'll know the character of God. And we want to exemplify the character of God. And that's only how that'll lead us to confession. And then we want to be people who confess, uh, because when we confess our sins, it leads to healing. And so as a, as a church, we want to do that here. And if we can do that here, guys, we can do that for our city. And we can do that for the world. We can do that for our nation. And so this morning, uh, as we go into our response, I want you guys to focus on your identity in Christ. I want you to focus on confession. I want you to focus on repentance, on seeking the Lord. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So let's do that in this time together. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for everything you are. I'm so far from what you want me to be. And this church is so far from what you want us to be. But you are a good God and you've given us good things and you've been patient and you've been not just patient, but I love the word uh, in the New Testament, you've been long-suffering and you've waited. And so we draw near to you because we know that you'll draw near to us. That's an invitation with a promise. And so draw near to us in this time. And may we respond not just in, not just in word, but in action. Not just in belief, but faith with works that isn't, that isn't dead, but is alive. And so push us from our seats this morning. Push us out of our comfort zone this morning to respond to you in communion, in song, in celebration, in prayer, in, in all things, in, in encouraging one another, Father. Ah, just make us more like you, Lord Jesus. In this time, we ask in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon. Thank you.